podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi, this is Tony Cotty and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. You are listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, and my mate, James Jones. A very sad day, a very sad week for the We Are West Ham podcast, for West Ham fans everywhere, for British people everywhere, and for many in the wider Commonwealth after the news last week that the Queen had died and has been replaced as monarch by King Charles the third 70 years on the throne, many West Ham fans, uh, as did clubs, uh, fans of other clubs, like to claim that the Queen was a hammer, uh, unconfirmed and denied by Prince Philip when he was still alive. But a nice thought nonetheless. Very sad indeed. Jonesy, a very, very strange um, time for the country and for those people who live in it. Yet another uh, unprecedented time, uh, 70 years since anyone in the UK had to go through this sort of thing. Um, football's off this weekend. No West Ham versus Newcastle. No Premier League games, no EFL games, no grassroots games. Oddly, not sure what the benefit is there. Whilst uh, cricket, rugby um, and horse racing got pushed back a day. Well, cricket and rugby carried on. Horse racing got pushed back a day. Um, yeah, it's a a very a very new and different time that we're all living through. Jonesy, um, how's it going? What have you made of it all? Uh, mate, um, yeah, terribly sad week. Um, just yeah, kind of we all knew that the day was coming. Uh, her most recent public appearance, which I'm pretty sure was the recent jubilee. Um, she looked a lot frailer than than she had ever done, um, which is to expect. She was in her nineties, mm. um, but it it still I don't know about anyone else, but it hit me like a ton of bricks when you know when it, when it emerged that she had actually passed. Obviously, there was the there was the expectation because of the announcement earlier in the day that she was she was unwell and family were rushing to be by her side and, and stuff like that. But yeah, just just terribly sad and. Um, you know, someone that uh, my family have have all been royalists. Um, I can't, uh, I'm perhaps not as a staunch royalist as as as, you know, that, uh, as a lot of my family are, mm. but still had a great deal of respect for the Queen, the royal family, um, particularly the Queen, given um, the work that she did. You know, she worked literally up to her dying day, um, and you know. Not many people work it well into their nineties, work for seventy years straight without a break. Um, so, you know, it's it's nice. It'd be nice to sort of spend some time and, and reflect on her wonderful life and a wonderful, a wonderful career serving our country and, and the rest of the Commonwealth. And um, you know, it's uh, it's certainly a strange time. Not many people have known anything different different other than Queen Elizabeth II on the throne. And um, now we've got a new king. We've also got a new prime minister uh, in the space of, what, 24 hours? Mm. Both, both of those changed, which is a very surreal situation to be in, really, because we don't really know what the future holds for this for this country. But 
Um, yeah, it's a, it's a sad time. And um, yeah, I don't know what else to say, to be fair. It's just no. just tragic, really. But um, she, she had a wonderful life and uh, mm-hmm. a great deal of respect for, for her and, and what she did for this country. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like you said, it, it's odd, isn't it? Because ultimately, I mean, it's the most peculiar job ever anyway. But, mm. <clears throat> and I know you mentioned you're not a staunch royalist there. Um, lots of people in the country will be at this time, won't they? You know, it's not, um, obviously it dominates the news agenda. Totally un- understand why that happens. Um, and everyone, everyone's talking about it, whatever their views. And... Ultimately, what I, what I find, and I, I, I'll be honest, I, I haven't, you know, it's easy, especially with the in the, the day and age we live in with, with Twitter and stuff like that, which only sort of focuses in and hones in on the negative stuff. Um, what, what, what I, I, my immediate go-to is this was a 96-year-old woman, like you say, and I always say, if anyone ever says anything or talks to me about it, I always say, oh, I want to live till I'm 100, like, you know. Um, 96 is a, an amazing age to live to for any of us, really, isn't it? If we all, if we got 96 years and continued to be surrounded by our family, um, reasonably healthy and, um, compass mentis, you know, with it, um, mentally as well, we'd all be, you know, that is sort of seriously, seriously lucky. Um, and, that was sort of my thing, really. I was struck by all of it. Obviously, the, the, the new king gave a an address to the nation the other day on Friday, it was. And even there, I just sort of find it hard to look beyond there's a man who's lost his dad recently and his mum's just died. All right, he's in his 70s. But, yeah, I, that, that sort of, that's sort of how, how I've been looking at the whole thing really that a, a mum and a and a nan has died um and you know it's a, it's a set and who millions of people in the country like you said millions of people in this country look look up to um and have it's been that constant presence like you say um in not just our lives but our parents lives like my, my dad wasn't alive when when queen elizabeth was um ascended to the throne was crowned and yeah it, it, it is an odd it is an odd thing isn't it how i was listening to a podcast yesterday like she met winston churchill when she came into power i think joseph stalin was still in charge like, of the yeah. soviet union winston churchill was about obviously um uh, and yeah, I think JFK maybe in America I might be wrong with that one. Um, but yeah, it's it's like a link to a completely different time, isn't it? Um, you know, before the the Second World War, like born before the Second World War. Um, yeah, just lived through times which which is at, which are actually in history books now. Do you know what I mean? Things mm-hmm. we learnt about in history at school the queen was alive for an experience. Um, and I think whatever your, whatever your views, she worked diligently for 70 years at a job she didn't ask for and that she had absolutely no choice in. And whereas, you know, I'm a bit of a history buff anyway, whereas people in that job before 
that the monarchy means a completely different thing now than it did before Queen Elizabeth's reign. And, you know, there are many people gone before who've shied away from the duty, not committed themselves to it anywhere near um, to the extent that, that Queen Elizabeth did. And the only reason she got in in the first place was because her uncle decided he wanted to get married to someone uh, and that was uh, who was divorced, uh, which wasn't allowed at the time. But that was more important to him. So he abdicated. The, his brother got the throne, Queen Elizabeth's dad. And here we are. And and I think it, it's it was an odd feeling. It was an odd feeling. Even friends of mine who I know who are uh, not staunch Republicans, you know, don't hate everything about the monarchy, but are sort of an, anti-monarchists, um, uh, if you like, even then, and, and rightfully so, it was about a shared humanity thing. Mm-hmm. Even those people were sad and were, you know, were just a bit down and a bit glum and a bit gloomy, as we all have been, because, you know, so, someone's mum and someone's nan has died who worked harder at what she did, whether you agree with it or not, you know. Uh, and I think in a time like this, we've all got, um, got or had mums and nans um, and you know if you if you can't um, see the sadness in the situation whatever your views um, I think it's a bit of a it's a bit of a sad thing really I think you're right I think you're right mate in that you know regardless of what your thoughts are on the monarchy or the queen or you know anything like that I mean they're, you know, people have their own opinions and that's absolutely fine but you're absolutely right she was she wasn't just the queen people mm. have to remember that she was a human being um grandmother mother um great grandmother um mm. so you know you have to you know you have to show respect and i tell you what the, the lovely moment that i that i had i was in a pub in st paul's when the news broke when the statement oh, was yeah. released um better friend before we were headed up to Stratford for the game, still unsure whether the game was going to go ahead or not. Hmm. And um, the uh, the landlord behind the bar rang a bell to get everyone's attention, turn the TV up. The statement was read out. It was like the first announcement. whole pub just fell silent when the bell rang. Really? They kind, of, they kind of knew, okay, well, definitely not asked orders. It's up or six. Um, and the volume went up. Everyone gathered around the TV. Everyone stood in silence. You know, a few tears shed. Oh, not ashamed to say that my eyes welled up. Couldn't believe it. And then everyone kind of turned to each other. Everyone raised their glasses, cheers, um, and kind of then just went back to where they were standing and kind of reflected. And there was no. It was just a pub just there showing their respects in, in a moment, mm. which is literally a moment of history. Now it'll always be. I remember when where I was when. And um, to have shared it with complete, most mostly complete strangers, but hmm. everyone had the same reaction, the same um, you know, reaction of respect, and everyone raised a glass without really saying anything either. Hmm. And um, they kind of just went back to their lives, and it was a really lovely moment. It was one that I'll always remember, and um, just showed that you know, regardless of what people's thoughts are of the Queen or of the royal family. People were just willing to show their respects in, in that moment in time. I think that's just so... Like, shared humanity, it's about for me, mate. You know, there's, there's so, such a lack of that, it appears, these days, isn't there? Everyone's so yeah. polarised on everything. Not, yeah. I know it's fueled and not helped by Twitter and social media and all that sort of stuff. 
Yeah. But everyone's so one stance or the other about something. And not just that, they also feel the need to argue relentlessly with other people about those things uh, and overlook good things in other people just because you may have some differences. And it seems like any acknowledgement that people think differently to you these days is it just doesn't really exist. There isn't really a place for that in our society, which is sad because there seems to be so much anger and discontent among, well, you know, and, and that doesn't, it's, that isn't helped by logging onto Twitter every day, which is mm-hmm. what, you know, what me and millions of other people do because that's all you see, isn't it? You know, me and you go and have a chat. We're different about in, in lots of ways. But when we meet up, not just for the podcast, but if we go out for dinner or drinks or whatever, we chat about those and we can laugh at each other and disagree and debate different um, our differences. But then it's the, the common things of which there are plenty that we have that unite us and, and make us friends and and other things you focus on. But we never really would never really exchange those on Twitter, do would we? Do you know what I mean? And no. but Twitter is a place to go to argue, isn't it, with other people. That's what you see. It's it's people at opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, but if you can't have a bit of shared humanity at a time like this and just empathize with even if you're not at all sad um by what's happened. Millions of people in the country are, and, and some of them will be your friends and your family. Like my nan and, you know, my grandparents in particular will be way more affected by the news uh, than than I perhaps was because it's different for them. They have a different thought process on it. They come from a different time. They've, they've experienced, had the Queen for longer, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, I agree with what you're saying, mate. I think just on that, I spoke to my grandmother earlier on on the Thursday so before the official announcement and um, because I knew how much she loved the Queen hmm. um, and the reason why she loved the Queen is because during the Second World War the Queen was hmm. um, a, a, a beacon of hope for so many people in this country and across Europe as well and um, she looked up to her she was the one that everyone looked up to as you know uh, as I said like a beacon of hope and she, she literally said to me in tears over the phone, she's all I've ever known, James. Hmm. And, you know, that kind of hit home a little bit. So that literally, yeah, it's all I've ever known. But for someone in her 80s to go, she's all I've ever known, just shows the impact that, that she had on this country over so many different generations. Hmm. So, um, so, yeah. Yeah, listen, mate, I think uh, it would be remiss of us not to touch on it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, Trevor Sinclair... Obviously, former West Ham and England winger. Um, much, I think, uh, and, a, and a, now a talk sport um, pundit, of course, radio worker. Um, Trevor, after the news was announced, uh, tweeted something. I don't know whether anyone has seen it. Um, and words to the effect of um you know racism has been rife in this country for a long time why should black and brown people mourn uh, the death of the queen um i have paraphrased that that's not word for word uh, he's deleted the tweet now um and most of you if you haven't already seen it will have been able to or will be able to still see it if you so wish but that was the uh, that was the gist of the tweet um from trevor 
Talk Sport said they were trying to contact him on the evening of the tweet. Um, they have since released a statement saying that Trevor won't be on air while they investigate the issue, while they respect his right uh, to express his personal opinion on his personal Twitter account that TalkSport does not endorse. The tweet, there was a fierce backlash, of course, at the time, understandably, um, to both the words that, or both what Trevor said and the timing of the tweet. Now, we did speak about this, Jonesy, whether we were going to bring it up or not. Um, we are aware, James and I, that for many people, it takes away from the from the story, which, of course, is now, which is way bigger, um, which, of course, is the death of the Queen. Um, however, we we chatted about it at length and we felt it would be best to acknowledge it. Uh, this is a West Ham podcast, after all. Uh, Trevor was. Um, I appreciate that's changed, but, but to talk of how he was considered uh, before this, um, I think it was would be fair to say he was a fondly remembered um, member of the West Ham team, often linking up with with Paolo Di Cani, obviously for that the, the best goal ever scored in the Premier League, and perhaps certainly up to Park. Um, Trevor put across him for that scissor kick for Paolo's, and generally a well liked and, and well respected former player. Appreciate lo- lots of that's changed for lots of fans. Just going on Twitter, you can see that. Uh, but Jonesy and I made the decision to to bring it up. It's in no way intended disrespectfully, and we're not looking to to offend anyone um but we felt it would be remiss not to to acknowledge it um and and just bring it up uh jonesy yes i suppose we did have to bring it up given he is a i would say he is or or was a a west ham uh something of a west ham cult hero no as you said he, he is uh He's passed the Canio for that, that famous goal. He'd probably go down as one of the greatest assists as well as the Canio's goal being the greatest goal. So yeah, it was loved, and um, it's some people say it's shocking for, for him to have expressed those views on social media. Um, he does have previous when it comes to controversy. So was it a surprise? I don't know, but the timing of it was. Um, was disgraceful, really. Everyone knows that. But I'm pretty sure my views are no different to anyone else's on this on this subject. So, um, just, just silly. Just regardless whether he had those views or not, and if he has those views, then that's absolutely fine. He's entitled to his own opinion. Um, but the timing, and you know, it's almost like, mate, read the room. It's I like, think it's just insensitive and offensive, isn't it? Yeah, to... the, the country the country is has just lost um, its queen of seventy years, and the first thing you think of is I'm going to go on social media and write that, mm. and and almost make it a, a racial matter, and she has nothing to do with race. Ninety six year old woman dying, regardless of what her background is and who she is, has nothing to do with race in that very moment, and. Um, yeah, it was insensitive. It was disrespectful. Um, and he soon realised that when he deleted his tweet. So I just I just liken it to, mate, right? And like you said, and I think it is, and, and TalkSport have alluded to the same thing. Like you say, we're, we still live, and I'm sure lots of most of the people listening to this, we do still live in a, a country, you know, where free speech is heralded. 
and and a free country where people are entitled to have their own opinions that aren't controlled by other people in the country by the state or by you know whoever that is one of the cornerstones of our of our nation um and but uh, i you know people bang that drum a lot about different different topics and different issues that free speech isn't to say that that speech is is consequence free Mm -hmm. and i likened that to just you know assume it wasn't the queen for a minute right jonesy and 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 let's sort of put it into a different thing if if your nan died joan james sorry if your nan died and i had known her and i didn't like her right for um, something that she'd done to me. No, I'm, I'm, I know it sort of yeah. sounds funny, mate, but yeah, I'm genuinely liking it to this. And and I didn't like her for something she'd done. And I'm not for a second belittling um, the, you know, the things that, the, the reasons that Trevor Sinclair um, brought up for for his dislike, the, the racism issues. I'm not for a second belittling those, but let, let's assume that, you know, I didn't, I hadn't liked your nan. And, she'd wronged me at some point in her life or, or whatever it was, or I felt, you know, she was um, a reason that, that I'd gone through something horrible. Um, and, 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 and she, she died. I, the, the idea that I would use the very moments after that to say, to get, go up to you and say, well, I've done, you know, while you were understandably like, grieving and mourning and and heartbroken that i would go up to you and say oh well you don't if you think I, i'm going to be mourning mate you got another thing coming and be really disrespectful and offensive to you at that time i i i find it i just find it so insensitive and offensive you mm. i would ne- you of course would never do that you know i i i wouldn't feel the need to tell you that at any time really but certainly you'd keep your counsel for a bit. Keep your powder dry. You know, mm. Trevor Sinclair will have many friends and colleagues who are feeling the the pain of it, you know, who are grieving and are sad and are upset. And I think to take to why why take to twit why? Why do it? Why stoke those flames? Have those opinions fine, you know. Have those opinions. If you want to have those, everyone is entitled to that in this country and everyone is entitled to say what they like as well. But these things aren't consequence free. And I just think all of that free speech stuff and everything, it just gets overlooked. But why would you, why would you do it then? Why would you go on Twitter? Just keep your mouth, get on with your day. You don't have to be moping and watching the news if you want. Go out for a run, walk your dogs, Go and have some dinner, like restaurants. Go and have eat with your family, you know. Go and have a drink with your mates. Go and do some washing, whatever. There are plenty of other things you could do instead. Well, I just don't understand it. I just don't understand. It just feels people are still sad and deciding that because you don't think because you're not sad about it, which is fine, and that you don't think other people other people have. You know, there. Um, he, the words he Trevor used were black and brown. Mm-hmm. Um, there were black and brown people up and down the country, um, who were and, and across the Commonwealth, who were really saddened by the news and grieving and mourning and all that sort of thing. 
whatever your issues are, I just found it compl- like the time it was so off. And then Trevor has issued an apology, and he's effectively issued f- an apology for the for the timing of it, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the that's the apology yeah. he put up on Twitter. Um, and yeah, I, I it's just and again, and lots of people were quick to comment. Oh, you're not apologising for the words, and and Trevor obviously has those feelings. He's apologised for the timing of it, and of course, really, it's you know, apologies are okay, but they're just more words that the original it's it, the damage is done, isn't it? Of course, it is for plenty of, and not just West Ham fans, but just plenty of people. You saw the the bitterly angry reaction. I just, James, and I don't know about you, what good can come out of that? Genuinely, what good comes out of it? Well, no, nothing good comes out of anything like that. No good comes out of anyone saying anything bad about anything, really, when you can, when you think about it. Um, especially, yeah, when But constructive like, criticism can sometimes be a good yeah, thing, but, can't it? Yeah, constructive criticism. But that, that wasn't a constructive opinion. That was just moments after the Queen died, I'm going to make my, my feelings known about her and then say, why should why should me and every other black and brown person mourn as a result of you know his own opinions on the queen and the royal family like you know nothing good comes out of that Mm. and yeah it all comes down to the timing of the tweet and you know he if he tweets that two days later he gets the same reaction though that's that's the thing if he if he tweets it a month later he gets the same reaction Mm, I don't uh, similar. I'll be honest. I, I I genuinely don't think a month later. I don't think you need to. You know, if he, you know what, look, he might feel the need. The to crux of it. The crux of it but, is, he doesn't need to tweet that whatsoever. Have that opinion. Text your mate your opinion about that. Yeah, Send you can be it. respectful about stuff, um, can't you? But to put it onto a public platform where that's all people are talking about in that moment, mm. right? Anywhere in the world, that's pretty much what anyone's talking about, mm. and. He's gone on there and said that. Mm. Like, of course you're going to get a backlash. Of course people are going to be annoyed and upset. And, you know, he's just, yeah, I don't really know what else to say. It's a, a, a baffling decision from him. Um, And it could it could cost him. It could yeah. cost him. I mean, I don't know what Talk Sport are going to do. I know they said they're investigating. Many people have... And I, I get this point. Many people have gone, well, you know, TalkSport are a radio station that uh, encourages opinion and free speech. Mm. Do, can they punish him for effectively doing that? Um, I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't go as far. I'd, I'd feel uncomfortable if they decided to sack him. Um, because really? I would do because I don't know. I just think, yeah. What he said was disgusting, ill-timed, disrespectful, insensitive. Um, but it wasn't on a TalkSport official account. It wasn't like he'd, he'd, he'd said it live on air, mm. um, which would have been a different story. Um, he, he was off he, duty. He said it. He deleted it. I'm not excusing it. I think it was disgusting. He should never have done it. But... I don't know. I would just feel a little bit. I, I, I would feel a little bit uncomfortable if they decided, right? Okay, there you're gone, Trev. Yeah. Uh, uh, but then uh, on the flip side, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they did. No. Because it's the, this is the world we live in now. Cancel. But not just that, mate. It. But also, you know, that they, they might see it as that, and it, oh, it wouldn't surprise me if they did see it this way. Is that they might see it as that, um, you know, the shows that he's on, 
he's a pundit on or whatever might lose listeners as a result of him being there because he's lost so much standing in, in, in the public eye. There'll be people shouting at this at the phone then, mate. It's going, think about how many listeners they're going to lose if he does if he does appear on any of their shows again. That's, no, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. If he does appear, how many... Oh, sorry. I thought you meant if they sack him, they'll lose listeners. No, 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 no. What, what I mean is that, you know, this is what they'll be thinking, probably, and I wouldn't be surprised if this is this is their thinking, is that um, if he is on a show, if they keep him, you know, they might be going, well, if he is on a show, how many people are we going to lose in terms of listeners? Hmm. Um, and not just that, mate, right? And we, we mentioned it already, but... You mentioned about like free speech again, and and you, you sort of wouldn't sit right with you if, if they sacked him. I I also think Talksport are a private company; they're not backed by public money. Mm-hmm. They're a private company, and private companies and private organisations are well within their rights to have their own um, set of uh, morals and boundaries and like you know it, you might know them in the corporate world as company policies or whatever or company stances or whatever yeah. they are well within their rights to protect their own brand and you say it's on his personal twitter account okay fine but the majority of people in 2022 know obviously know he played football which is why he got there but if you said the majority of people know of Trevor Sinclair and what he's up to now will link him directly to TalkSport. He doesn't really do much else. Mm-hmm. Certainly not Certainly not much of note, does he, Trevor? And so to say it was on his personal Twitter account, well, yeah, it is. But th- that doesn't mean it's completely, like, severed from TalkSport. No, There's no way in a million years that tweet doesn't damage TalkSport's brand. And they're well within their rights to protect that. I think there is free again. Free speech is def, is a cornerstone of of this country, and and that is fine. But the, free speech doesn't mean consequence free speech. And to take it to the extreme, if you had people like drumming up, you know, really, really anti, you know, right wing sentiment, for example, um, you know, uh, I don't need to name any, but like, yeah, former like. The English Defence League, for example, who were a very, very right-wing political party in the UK. If you had someone like that, you know, going on to Talksport, wouldn't and like Talksport wouldn't employ someone like that, would they? Right? If if you've got someone who's, uh, or you know, anyone completely radical, like far left, um, it, if you've got someone with really, really views that are really extreme and uh, offend lots of people talks what wouldn't employ someone like that for their own brand protection or whatever and they're allowed to have they're allowed to protect their own brand and what trevor sinclair said i'm not comparing it to extreme right wing or extreme left wing offensive political discord however what trevor sinclair said offended millions of people and Talksport are an organization who rely on millions of people listening to what they do, liking what they do, and liking their brand. So I, yeah. I, I think it's it's not consequence free, really. Well, as, as Nor said, should it be. As I said, you know, I would not be surprised if if they made the decision to cut ties with him. Hmm. 
Um, you know, we are talking about a guy that has been convicted of racism himself. Mm. Um, and they still employed him after that. That's why I'd be like, well, I mean, you've already employed him, even though he's essentially a convicted racist mm. for something he said while being caught drink driving, allegedly. Um, but then he said something which, yeah, has, has, has offended thousands, if not millions of people, hundreds of thousands, millions of people around the world. And, um, you know, if they sacked him, fine. But it would just be, for me, it'd be like, I mean, you've kind, of, you've kind of gone back on yourself there because you've, you've already employed him. He's already been mm. a racist. He's been charged in the court of law for, for saying racist things. You're right, actually. So right. what's, the way I see it is that what's changed between those two moments, one involves the Queen, one involves a white police officer who he, who he allegedly racially abused. Mm. Um, both disgusting in their, in their own right. But it is, it's a mark like, of a weird country we live in, isn't it, that people think the thing about the Queen is worse than that, which it obviously isn't. No, exactly. I mean, you know... They're both like they're actual both... racism and actual drink driving act are actual crimes. Actual like they're crimes. actually actual yeah. crimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm very but... much for give people a second chance if they've paid their their due and they've whatever. Which which then... is what which is what I'm saying is that yeah they clearly thought okay well he's he's you know he's paid the consequence of of being of, of racially abusing a police officer after being caught for drink driving. Um, and he's, you know, he's he's paid the consequences. He's did his time, or he's paid his fine, or community service. Mm. I don't know what the punishment was. Yeah, he he's the punishment that <laughs> is laid out in law. He's yeah. done that. He's yeah, done yeah, that. Yeah, sure, he's yeah. done that. And he's then been employed by the talk sport mm. because they felt like, yeah, fine, no problem. Yeah, and no, um, he's not the only Richard, person with a, is... a Richard. They employed Richard Keys and Andy Gray after the. Yeah, the Sky Sports thing, you know, yeah. it's not the only thing, is but it? Then, but then, to, for them to then decide that actually, after what you said on Twitter, is a sackable offence, based mm. on the fact that they've already employed him for after, after he was convicted of racially abusing someone, that's why I'd be a bit like, well, I mean, what, is that contradictory mm. from them? I, I don't yeah. know, and that's why I think, you know, suspend him, don't put him on air for the rest of the year or whatever, let it die down. People won't forget. People never forget things like that. Um, but I don't know. It, I wouldn't be surprised if they made that decision. But at the same time, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be on social media celebrating the fact that they'd sacked it. Let's put it that way. No. Yeah. But at the I same understand. time, I completely and utterly disagree with what you said. Um, and um, I'm in that boat of, of people that disrespect because you know I was in that very moment and still am mourning the death of the queen and, and still quite sad about that fact. So, mm. um, but at the same time, I don't think he should get the punishment that many people believe he should. Yeah. 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 Okay. Mate. Fair enough. Look, I, and, and it's worth noting, is it? You've said it there that we did talk long and hard about whether to bring this topic up um, on the podcast. We appreciate it. It's a, it's a hard time for lots of people. So I appreciate that. That most, or sorry, not most at all, but lots of people are not really affected by by what's gone on at all and are just getting on with their lives. But we we felt it'd be remiss to uh, to not bring it up. So it's obviously not our intention, as it never is on this podcast, to to offend anyone or or upset anyone. But um, we hope we've dealt with it fairly respectfully. 
Um, and yeah, in a, in what is a is an odd time for everyone. Just worth noting as well, Josie. Uh, Dean Saunders um, is been gradually reintroduced to Talksport over the past. Um, you know, the past months, uh, who used to be on there a lot, um, refused to give a uh, refused to give a, a breathalyzer test when stopped by police on suspicion of drink driving before, uh, avoided jail in the end. Um, but yeah, he, you know, um, he was sort of slurring and he was he was found guilty of the of the charge, avoided jail, I think, won the appeal. Um, but yeah, he had that, got a driving ban. Um, and talks what gradually reintroducing him onto the station. People will disagree with that as well. So yeah, I think um, I think we can. Uh, we've sort of said what needs to be said on that. Um, a strange week for for everyone, uh, but we hope whatever your stance on it um, is that you're doing okay. Uh, and if you're cracking on with your life, crack on. Happy days. If you're you're suffering and you're you're struggling and, and you're upset about it. Uh, then you know we hope you we hope you pull through. Don't do that alone. Talk to your friends and your family, um, and you know life as we saw on on Thursday night does go on. Jonesy, I think it's it's a good, uh, a brilliant thing to end this segment. Um, I know we're not going to sort of we're not doing any adverts this week. You may hear some adverts for uh, at the right at the beginning or right at the end, uh, which are by our podcast platform provider, which we we have no sort of control or say over. They have to go over um, every time we put a podcast on because the deal we signed at the end of the season. We're not doing our own adverts. We're not doing the social media stuff or pushing um, of any of our, of our other bits this week. Um. Just worth noting, I think, Jonesy, to to say that news was announced on Thursday, you're at the game. We'll talk about the game in a bit more detail in a minute, but the, the best way to end this conversation is, I think, what a, what a tribute paid by West Ham and how what a proud moment for the club to see the hugely positive reaction up and down the country to the way West Ham fans paid tribute to the Queen at London Stadium on Thursday. You went to the game. You mentioned all that um, in the pub before, which, which is a nice anecdote, mate. And the rousing rendition um, of the national anthem during what was, you know, a, a sort of minute to pay respect to to the Queen on Thursday night against F- FCSB. Um Really, really proud moment. The picture was on, uh, you know, that all the newspapers that went out the next day were been by far, they'll smash all records in our lifetime of newspapers sold because the Queen died, everyone flocking out to buy them. Um, on the sports spread uh, of the Sun, there was a picture of the West Ham players together. That picture of West Ham, uh, the players together in the centre circle with the picture of the, of the Queen up at London Stadium afterwards uh, was across all of the national newspapers. And a really, really, really proud, proud moment for our club and all of its fans. It was, it was a very surreal moment, if I'm honest, mate. Like, just expecting everyone when the referee blew the whistle to everyone just to fall silent, and instead, everyone just kind of started singing the national anthem and um, goosebumps. Uh, it was a goosebumps moment. It was very emotional. But you're right. My initial reaction was, oh, God, this is going to get some bad press. It's going to be a minute silence. Everyone's singing. Hmm. Um, 
And, you know, that was my initial thought. I was, oh, God, here we go. Like, this isn't going to go down well. But then the reaction after on social media of just everyone just going West class from West Ham fans. And it was just a wonderful tribute. It was just, it was a, incredibly emotional. But uh, an honour to, uh, to have been in, a part of in that stadium at that time. And the, uh, the FCSB fans were incredibly respectful. Uh, very loud throughout the game. We'll talk about that. Very good fans, um, but incredibly respectful. Applauded the, the the fans up when the the national anthem ended, and it was just a really great atmosphere. Everyone was together in that moment. Not just West Ham fans, but the FCSB fans as well. Um, the FCSB players, like everything, was just it was just so yeah. It was lovely and um, unexpected, really. I said, thought it was going to be a minute silence. Next thing you know, you're you're crying through the national anthem um, with the Queen obviously on the on the big screen and that. So it was wonderful, and I'm I'm so glad that it got the 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 respect and and the uh, and the plaudits that it did uh, across the country from from people that wouldn't normally praise West Ham fans, which is quite nice. But hmm. West Ham fans didn't do it for anything other than the fact that they wanted to show their respects to the Queen. It wasn't that for any kind of outside no, of course not. endorsement. But it was just nice to have had that acknowledgement as well as a byproduct of that because um, we've we've had some bad press in the past, haven't we, uh, for things that have happened in that stadium. And so to to be on, on the flip side of that this time and for something so uh, so Boy, sad man. But yeah. so poignant is the word, yeah, um, was was lovely. And uh, it was just an honour to be there in that moment, 100%. Yeah, fair play, mate. Um, let's leave the first section on that, I think. Well, there was a game of football played on Thursday, James. Uh, we've, we've mentioned the, the excellent tribute from West Ham fans uh, ahead of that game to the Queen. Um it feels odd talking about football. Uh, the game went ahead Thursday night. First of all, what was your thoughts on the game being played? Uh, the, the the sort of line is, I think, at the club that it was just too soon. It was too close to the kickoff um, for the game to be called off. And what were your what are your thoughts on the game being played at all? Um, I was quite surprised actually. See, we were kind of. Hanging around in the pub in St. Paul's, kind of, I'm in an room at the head to the stadium when there was no official announcement. And then uh, Sky Sports had announced the teams before West Ham, um, which wasn't that much of a surprise given West Ham would have put a team in. Uh, and then suddenly it came out that, yeah, yeah, we're going to go ahead. But I, I was quite surprised. But then on the flip side, I was like, well, it is, what, an hour and a half before kickoff. Hmm. Um, there will be fans already in the stadium. Um, I'm pretty sure all of all of the FCFB fans will be in there. Um, so yeah, I was quite glad though. To be fair, it was, obviously the, the tribute beforehand was great, but it kind of it allowed us allowed people to kind of just forget for 90 minutes, if you know what I mean, and kind of just go and pay their respects a little bit, but also just lose themselves for 90 minutes after a, a, a tough day. And um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either way. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest, it felt a bit jarring for me at the time. I thought, oh, I, 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 yeah, I was like, I don't think this should, I don't think this should be happening. Mm. Uh, the, the, the national anthem and 
you know, the, the marker is the, the show of respect West Ham fans showed before kickoff. Um, assuaged those a little bit, made me feel a little bit better about that. But even then, it was still a bit like, I don't know, it just didn't feel like it mattered or that it, it, it just put it, I don't know, it just seemed to put it into perspective. And I thought, it just felt odd doing something so normal and I know and you know it's, it's funny it's funny we were all remarking on this um because you know I'm not a, a complete a, a staunch monarchist by by any stretch but um it, you know I I haven't got a, a, a staunch anti-monarchy stance either by that token but I was I was struck by how affected I was by by the whole situation um, and, you know, a friend of mine I was talking to about it that night is probably more of a uh, an anti an anti monarchist than I am, perhaps. It was the same, and it, it, I was struck by that because it just felt a little bit jarring to I don't know if all that had happened. This this once something ha- hasn't happened since the 1930s had happened, a huge thing for so many in the country. And then it's like, oh, West Ham have gone one nil down to FCSB to do something so sort of normal. It just felt completely unimportant and not, it just like, it didn't matter really quickly to me. Um, and, it, uh, you know, even looking back at the stuff with the, the games this weekend, I'm of the opinion that they that they should stop, to be quite honest. Uh, and, I, and I know lots of people, and I think you're one of those who said, it gives football a chance to come together and mourn. I don't know why. And it's funny because even as I say it, it doesn't really sound like the the stance I would take. And I think people are a little bit surprised by that. But I just sort of think, I don't know, just a bit of time for everyone to process maybe, rather than just as we're so keen to do in the modern age, everyone just like cracks on. I don't know. It just feels a little bit odd trying to care about something so normal when yeah, something so I- momentous has happened. I get what you mean. I mean. Before we talk about the game, like just on the, the decision to, to postpone this week's this weekend's fixtures, mm. um, we're not surprised that they did. But equally, just a little bit. Uh, but why have you? The royal family and the government came out and said that you're under no obligation. If you want, you can carry on. Rugby did it, which was cowardly from the government. So um, make a decision one way yeah, or the other. Yeah. Say we want we want tributes to be paid. Sports should go ahead, or say they shouldn't. Yeah, don't just back out. Agree, that, I agree with that. But then it's up you know, to you lot. What? Then, then I thought, well, oh, maybe they will still do. They'll still count, uh, postpone because you know, policing issues and, and all the rest of it. And that may mm. still be the case. They, that wasn't the official line. Um, but the decision to postpone, regardless, isn't just. Yeah, okay. It's mark of respect. Fine, understand that, but. The decision also affects so many people in so many different ways. People have lost out on income. Businesses have lost out on income. Mm. At a time where businesses and, and, and freelancers and zero-hour contract workers and casual workers can't really afford to miss out on income in this current world we live in. Mm. Uh, and they've made that decision even though they were told that they didn't have to make that decision. That was the thing that really frustrated me. It didn't frustrate me. Oh, you know, I, I mean, I was what we're recording on Sunday. I was really looking forward to going to the game today. Mm. Um, but that doesn't matter to me. Like the fact is, and the thing that annoys me—not annoys me, but frustrates me a little bit—is that a lot of people have missed out at a time that they really cannot afford to miss out. 
yeah. On, stuff, on, on stuff that means something. Caterers at stadiums, at, um, uh, you know, takeaway bars, and you know, landlords who have got twenty grand gas bills to deal with, mm. and and stuff like that. You know, that's the thing that's a little bit like: can we really afford to stop the economy for two more days? Yeah. Yeah, um, I didn't even yeah, we, you're right. Should we really be we need to get the economy but especially running. for some if especially for something that genuinely won't like obviously at the moment it, it feels and seems like especially if you go on social media or the TV, it feels like everyone cares. But not everyone cares, do they? Let's call it no, as uh, it is. That's not it. everyone in the country cares. And yeah, so yeah, I suppose if you're one of those people who really doesn't care at all. And you're being like you're like you said you're going to be economically affected by this by something you just don't care about. Yeah, yeah, you're going to be annoyed by that, aren't you? And and I think it would be better to have. I've literally already changed my mind and think it would be better to have given fans the choice. Yeah, and I think I think also I've seen a lot of people on social media go well, you know, I will, you know, take away my fun at the weekend, expect me to go to work on Monday. It's like, mm-hmm. well, I mean, this is a bit of a bit of a strange strange way of looking at it. But at the same time, <laughs> it's like, fine. But at the same time, what happened on Thursday night at London Stadium should have been all the evidence they needed in terms of how the majority of the football fans in the country at games mm. across the, what, the, uh, what, I don't know, I mean, I, I'm rubbish at maths, but 60 games across the country, say, ballpark figure. Mm. We, we we roughly know that the majority of the fans in those stadiums on the, on those match days uh, are gonna are gonna react in the same way as West Ham fans did and FCSB fans did on Thursday night. It's gonna be national anthem, black arm bands, pay your respects. Everyone come together, regardless of whether you care or you don't. You're in that it together. Yeah, you know I think there has been reports that part of the decision was down to the fact there was the worry about how some sets of fans would behave. Well, let me read this out, mate. Let me read this out. From Henry Winter, this was yesterday. Uh, Old Trafford and London Stadium on Thursday showed fans impeccable in tributes to the Queen, but it was inevitable that the Premier League EFL programme would be off because football is a national sport and because of league's fears that even one disrespectful shout would make front-page news and damage the sport's image. Plus usual policing and logistics issues, which will be even more of an issue next weekend ahead of the Queen's funeral on Monday. Uh, but the FA decision to call off all grassroots and kids' football is shame, shameful and damaging, uh, especially after COVID. Kids need to be outside playing football for their physical and mental health, not cooped up indoors. The grassroots thing is absolutely yeah, baffling. Yeah, that, 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 that is sort of what it is, really. You know, and you're, you've got... I'm not... Uh, You've got. I, I was watching at the UEFA the Europa League on the other night, and Hearts were playing Istanbul Basaksehir here at home. Uh, they were one of the early games. The kickoff, uh, they like Man United did, did a minute silence at the beginning of the second half. Saw that. Yeah, the, I think Arsenal did the and, same in Zurich as well. That's sorry. That's not, not Man United. That's who I meant. Yeah. Arsenal at Zurich. There was the other game. Yeah, and um, and. Quite frankly, obviously it's a different issue in Scotland because you've got a, a split between those who recognise and respect and want to be part of the UK and recognise and respect the Queen, etc., and those who are staunchly against it. Uh, and at Hearts, you had 
a section of fans singing the national anthem and trying to you know respect the minute silence or whatever and you had a section of fans booing and jeering and you know not just but there are certain parts of the country uh, you know merseyside in particular who have a you know part of the the fabric of their society not everyone there of course but part of the fabric of of that city and and uh, liverpool in particular and, and fans of those two clubs liverpool and everton are going to have a far larger percentage of their fan base who are staunchly anti-monarchy and so any games involving them understandably would you would have a lot more anti-monarchist sentiment and you therefore may have some forms of protest and and booing and and whatever you're certainly not going to have people belting out god save the queen um as you as we saw at, at london stadium and that's sort of normal so well, it's understandable that the that the leagues would fear that do you not think it's understandable as i say when when the announcement came on friday friday afternoon you know it was like yeah, expected that. A little bit disappointed, but um, it was a decision that I, I just expected them to make. I was hoping that they wouldn't, but expected them mm. to, to, to do so anyway. Um, but you know, the, the the line that you know they, they fear that just one bad shout would reflect badly on the sport. No, it reflects badly on that single one person that makes that shout. Right? I think many many people can can recognise that. Right. But you are going to have more. That's what I'm saying. It's not really. You are going to have it. You you are going to have grounds, and you, you are. It's going to. Whenever games are played, there's going to be a minute silence before because it'd be the first game played since her death. So they're going to be having. You can't avoid this. They can't avoid it. Whether they do it now, or they do it in two week, three weeks time at the beginning of October after the national break. That's like, a good point. Actually, they've still got to do it because people still want to pay their respects. And they want to do it where at their football ground, because yeah, that's, that's, that's a really good point. I hadn't even thought that, you know, and, and that's in those grounds who are more inclined to do that. That's not going to stop in two weeks, is it? No, like if those who are going to protest against it are not going to stop in two weeks, yeah, no, no. So, I mean, don't forget, I mean, the, the funeral was what Monday week, mm. we still don't know what's happening next weekend, um, which should be the weekend before. The Monday, so we don't know whether those games will be played. If they're cancelled, then you've got the international break. So the first Premier League game back could be the first of October, mm. three weeks after her death. They've still got to do some kind of respect uh, minute silence or something. Yeah. So just it feels just like get it, it out of the way almost. I, like, I know this is that's what it's going to be like. I, yeah. I know this is a couple of days after, and it's still quite raw for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but it, this does feel essentially like they're almost kicking a can down the road a little bit. And mm. um, regardless, people are still going to be disrespectful in those minute silence. Just like every other minute silence that we've ever had in the football ground, more often than not, there's always one or two people that will that will disrespect it, regardless mm. of who it is that we're doing a minute silence for. Um, it'll be the same. Maybe a little bit more pronounced in some grounds, given who it was. Yeah, but you're not gonna, you can't avoid it. No, true, actually, true. Yeah, yeah. Mate, you've made some belting points on the 
on the thing tonight, on the, the podcast this morning or whatever. Uh, yeah, but look, talk to me about the game then, Jonesy. That, that is where it is. We are where it is. At the moment, as it stands, worth noting as well, just as far as what the podcast sounds like for you this week. West Ham are playing Silkeborg away in the Europa League on Thursday night. So we'll chat to uh, Henry again from Football in Denmark to look ahead to that game. It looks at this stage like the game against Everton next weekend uh, is also going to be off. That's what it looks like at this stage. Uh, we're recording on Sunday the game, the Newcastle game was supposed to be played. So we don't know as of yet. Uh, if there is, we'll try and slot in a Everton opposition view. Maybe not on this podcast or maybe on this podcast or maybe later on in the week. It depends when that decision is made. Obviously, we want to get this up and out for you while it's fresh. And uh, you can you can hear from Henry before that game on Thursday. Um, so just bear with us this week. Obviously, we, we're sort of reacting to the news as it happens and it hasn't. Nothing's been announced yet. Uh, talk to me about the game then, Jonesy. West Ham United um, went 1-0 down. Uh, lots of flashbacks for lots of fans to going 1-0 down at home to a Romanian team in Europe. Uh, strong Astra... Girigou vibes. Um, however, fortunately, West Ham managed to bounce back. Uh, Andre Cordea scoring the opener for FCSB. For Jared Bowen's penalty, Emerson Palmieri's uh, deflected effort and Mikel Antonio's decent finish right at the death made for what was in the end a convincing victory. 3-1 to West Ham. They go top of uh, Conference League Group B um, ahead of Anderlecht on in Hurin's second, who beat Silkeborg. Uh, ahead of them on goal difference, 21 shots, West Ham, seven on target, 66% possession. Probably a lot more convincing than, than it seemed. Um, the first half, we didn't have a single shot on target, despite having about 70% of the ball. Um, it really wasn't a surprise to go 1-0 down at the time. Um, they were almost playing us at our own game, counter-attack. They'd had a couple of shots on target even before even before they went one new up. Um, and it just felt like David Morris has got to change it, but let's see how we can start in the second half and then kind of assess it. So for him to make those three changes bang on at half-time was a little bit surprising. Um, mm. He brought, what, Bowen, Piquetta and Antonio on. Skamaka was poor, but still was covering from illness, so wasn't that surprised, but pretty poor, if I'm honest. Uh, Antonio came on in the second half and completely changed the game. And it's literally what we've been saying for so long. You give him competition, and suddenly Antonio is a completely different player. Hmm. And, and rest. Competition and rest. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, one of the best games I've ever seen him play. He was ridiculous. Um, turning defenders, just being a complete and utter nuisance. Definitely and wouldn't have been as good as Seville at home, but yeah, yeah, true, true. But like the the uh, FCSB defenders probably had no idea what to do because they've spent the first half dealing with a six foot four Italian, mm. um, who you know is physical, <clears> but <throat> you know didn't really do a great deal. Second half, they're dealing with someone like Antonio, who's literally just everywhere and like barging people out of the way and just causing all sorts of bother. Um, but yeah, the second half was far better. And you, you, you knew even uh, even at half-time, we were having a beer and just going, oh, no, we're still going to win this game. Like, 
it would be an absolute shock if we don't win this game. We've not even had a shot on target yet, but we, we will win it. And um, he makes those three changes and, and seem to go on and do it comfortably in the end. Could have scored a couple more. Um, but yeah, it was a good it was, it was a good, good game of football, really. Quite enjoyed it. And Finn Downs in, in midfield, very good. Very good. Is it is it fair for me to say that those players that you've mentioned there, Mikel Antonio, Flynn Downs, etc., etc., may have looked better because of the quality of the opposition? Um, potentially. Or is that a bit curmudgeonly and negative think, from me? I think Antonio showed signs all season that he's that he's benefiting from the rest of the competition from Skamaka. All season. Right. Now, I'm going to stop you there. That is not true because we have literally pulled our hair out of it and we on this podcast. Shown, the first few games of the season. Shown shown signs. Shown signs. I think he's Nah, become, that's a cop out, mate. I'm not think, letting you have that one. I think he, he is now he's going to be more effective off the bench. I think that that's start him and I think he will lose his effectiveness. But yeah, okay, he might benefit from the fact that it was FCSB. No disrespect to them, but no, far that is, than we are. As as always, um, when James Jones mutters the words "no disrespect," he yeah, has just yeah. been or is about to be disrespectful. So, yeah, place <laughs> that um, on record. Thank you. Uh, but Flynn Downs probably more so. Uh, I saw a lot of people going, "Oh, Roy's well, got to start against Newcastle." It's like, no, no, no. Like, let's just tone it down a little bit. Mm. He's had a good game against a mid-table Romanian side. Great, mm. like, and he was very good. Yeah. And it's encouraging to see him have a good game like that because you know, he's not really had an opportunity so far in a West Ham shirt. He looks very, very good alongside Declan Rice. Um, and if he can continue like that, then he will be a very good option as a Suchek alternative. It might actually allow us to give Suchek a rest blessing because he's played yeah. in the game for the last eight years or whatever it is. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I'm encouraged by Finn Downs. I thought he was very, very good. He was my man of the match. Um, I think Emerson was also very, very good. Uh, but it was just the second first half. Goal. Thought, yeah, first goal. Um, relatively fortunate with a deflection, but mm. you know, still hit yeah. the back of the net. Um, but yeah, the, the, the performance was good. Second half was great. And uh, it should have been more. Good to see Bowen on the score sheet. There was a debate about the penalty in terms of um, who should take it. Bowen was the obvious choice, I think. I know Antonio's taken a few, but... Decent um, hit as well. Very good penalty. I thought I was a little bit worried, though, because he's where he's left-footed. Very rare mm. you see a, a, a player lining up to take a penalty uh, with his left foot. And it just looked weird from where I was at the stadium. I was like, I already don't like the look of this because the run-up is not it's not right-footed, it's left-footed. Um, yeah. But it hit, hits the roof of the net. Good penalty. So, um, Great pen. I still, I mean, if Lanzini's on the pitch, I, I want him play. taking him. Well, yeah, think, but I think just give him to Bowen. He's going to be on the most of the time. So you need yeah. a bit of consistency with that. He scored that one. I do like Lanzini taking him as well. He's got a good record. But yeah, I, I think if Lanzini's on the that... pitch, he, he he takes them. But if he's not, then Bowen does. Yeah, um, but but yeah, obviously Lanzini was hauled off at half time because he was. I can't even remember if he was actually on the pitch or not. But um, it was terrible. But um, but yeah, I, I I'm happy that he took it, and he needs goals, Bowen. I think he's a little mm. bit out of confidence. Um, he wasn't at his absolute best. He had a couple of moments where, like, oh, finally he's back. But 
he's still out of form, out of confidence. So for him to get on the score sheet was good for us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, good win. Nice to be off the mark in Group B. And um, yeah, the next game is on Thursday. Do it all over again. Silkeborg away. Not quite as difficult as um, as you thought this, wasn't it? Despite, and I quote, um, Star Bucharest's Champions League pedigree. Having not played, I don't don't think I said Champions League pedigree, did I? Mate, go and listen back. Go and listen back. And I called you up on it. And I said, right, point me out when, um, how often the teams we're playing in this group have been in the Champions League. I think the most recent. Champions League fixture, any of our three Conference League opponents have had was 2004 against Leeds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it, it was Anderlecht. Yeah, 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 it might have been that. Yeah, it might have been that. But, yeah. Um... So, uh, yeah, not quite as um, uh, such pedigree as, as you thought. But uh, good to chat to the Romanian football lads last week ahead of that game. Thanks to them for their time. We'll get them on again uh, ahead just, of that return just, fixture. Just on, just on those. Um, on. It was a great chat. Obviously, I wasn't I wasn't on there. So you, you did that one, and like listening back, absolutely mental that the owner picks the formation before the game. Yeah, crazy. And um, but then at the same time, in the first half, I was like, "Cool, the owner's pretty good tactic." Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> sorry, Get him hey, in if Moisey gets sacked. Yeah, yeah. Bring the owner in. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Well, look, good to get off to a winning start, as you mentioned. Top of the league. Uh, bring on Silkeborg away on Thursday. We'll chat to Henry Nichols from Football in Denmark about that next. So I'm delighted to say joining us once again on the We Are West Ham podcast is Henry Nichols from the Football in Denmark platform. Henry, great to have you back on the show. As I was just saying to you off air, um, a few weeks ago, I didn't really know Denmark had any football teams. Uh, and now look, we've played Viborg home and away and we've drawn Silkeborg in the group stages of the Europa Conference League, having beaten Viborg in the qualifier over two legs. To reach the group stage, West Ham got off to a very decent start um, with that win over FCSB uh, last Thursday. Uh, Silkeborg were unlucky by all accounts. Uh, a 1 0 away defeat to Anderlecht, which uh, leaves them third in the Conference League uh, group state or the group table that West Ham are in at the moment, but by, by no means um, sort of out of it, if you like. Um, how are they doing in the league at the moment before we chat about the, the Europa League stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, I think most people would have heard of uh, FC Copenhagen and, and Bromby, but um, but certainly Viborg and Silkeborg are the two kind of like hipster choice teams at the moment. They're, they're the ones playing the sort of exciting football with with uh, small budgets. So, yeah, last the season... The Dulwich Hamlet of uh, <laughs> Danish football, is it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, the, the thing with Silkeborg is... Um, that they were the so like Viborg, they were the other team that got promoted last season. So West Ham have played the two the two promoted teams who both made it into Europe amazingly. And I think that aside right. from Viborg, the biggest story of um of the season was Silkeborg because they finished third last season and they were um they had a really uh sort of uh, they had a way of playing that they just replicated in every game, whether they were playing a big team or a small team, and it was really really effective. Now, as is always the case um, when you're you're not one of the the big sort of two or three teams in in Denmark, uh, the sharks circle after a good season, and I, it, w- it was certainly I was thinking over the summer, you know, if they can keep this squad together, I think they can really do something in Europe. And in fact, uh, two of their sort of four key players uh, got 
poached this summer. So um, you're, you're facing by Danish with, teams or elsewhere in Europe. Um, well, one was by a Danish team. So a guy called Nikol, uh, Nikolai Valleys went to Bronby and he was responsible for tw- uh, 20 combined goals and assists last season. Um, but then a right back called Rasmus Carstensen went to Genk in, uh, in Belgium. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. So, West Ham played in the Europa League last season, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so they lost those two. Um, but yeah, it, how they play is um, it is almost the, the the opposite to Viborg in terms of you might remember from the when Viborg came over to play West Ham, they were pressing really high up the pitch and and really um, sort of uh, looking for counter attacks. And in fact, Silkeborg are the opposite. They're they're the highest possession team in the league. Um, right. They don't press much uh, up the pitch, but they don't really don't really need to. Um, and yeah, the, the, this season they've been extremely efficient. Um, you know, the lowest big chances missed. So they've scored 14 goals and they've only missed five big chances. And just to kind of put it into context, um, at the other end of the, the scale, FC Copenhagen have scored 16, but they've missed 15 big chances. So right. they're, they're extremely efficient in front of goal. They like passing the ball lot. So they're, they're the highest passers in the league. So expect a sort of um, Barcelona light. Uh, possession heavy uh, kind of style. Um, the other thing that sort of plays into that efficiency is that they uh, commit the fewest fouls and get the fewest yellow cards. So um, right. they're a really nice team to watch. They turned a lot of heads last season. And although they lost a couple of key names, they've still got some of the the players who, who helped get them into that third place last season. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Well, they're sitting third again at the moment, uh, just a point above... Uh, Viborg played a game more. Uh, I understand they played them fairly recently uh, in the league, and it was actually Viborg that came out on top, two 0 winners. Are West Ham fans right to take any, uh, you know, sort of solace or, or optimism from that? Because obviously, uh, you'll remember me and Jonesy on the podcast before um, exchange of views, Jonesy uncharacteristically cautious and and pessimistic about the prospect. I said we'd we'd walk the tie easily, which, to be fair, is is sort of what we did in the end, albeit they were fairly entertaining encounters. Um, Are West Ham fans right to to look at that recent result and think, well, Viborg have beaten them 2-0 in the league. West Ham beat Viborg with relative ease. This should be no problem. Yeah, I wouldn't read too much into that. I mean, Silkeborg haven't been as as strong as they were last season. And I think that they'll be extremely disappointed that they're playing in the Conference League because um, they only had one tie to get through to make it into the the Europa League and they were playing um, Helsinki. So it was a game that, you know, it wasn't a gimme, but it was certainly one where I'd have them favourites and they they somehow lost that. So um, I wouldn't take them lightly. I would say that they are um, they're a stronger team than than Viborg, uh, and they've got this this style and particular man, particularly manager who who works really well for them. Um, but I would say that you know West Ham are still going to be big favourites. Um, I, I I think that they they could cause some problems, but I think that it's a case of uh, you know if um, if Silkeborg get more than um, two points out of uh, out of the two games, I would be surprised. Right, yeah, 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 fair enough. So you sort of mentioned um, like the style-wise there, but what sort of formation can we expect? And and are there any star players that that West Ham fans should be looking out for? Yeah, they they, they play a fairly consistent four-three-three uh, with a deep-lying central midfielder who, uh, although he's Danish, he's got quite an English name, Mark Brink, um, right. and he sort of dictates play from deep. He's not a he's not a a, a defensive mid who. Um, 
uh, is there to put in crunching tackles. He really is, is a silky passer. Um, and then as part of the front three, you've got a, a classic kind of big number nine in the form of Nicholas Hellenius, who you might remember was at Aston Villa a, a while I back. I re- recognise that name, yeah. Yeah, he was the golden boot winner in the league last season with 17 goals. So he's very much the kind of focal point of attack. Um, similar In a similar kind of style to, to V-Borg's number nine, J-Roy Grot, you know, he's big, um, he's effective, but he's an extremely proficient finisher. So he's one to look out for. And then um, on the right wing, they've got Sebastian Jorgensen, who, uh, who also got 20 goal and assists last season. He's a very kind of direct... Uh, winger he plays on the right and he's left-footed so he cuts in a lot on his left and, and has shots um so th- th- i'd say that those two with the with the addition of brink um kind of playing the deep lying playmaker role those are the sort of the key players to look out for um but yeah that the, their their front three last season interchanged quite a lot and sort of made great use of of spaces that opened up so uh that's how they can that's how they can can hurt you basically yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And what um, we we mentioned before about, about Viborg, and for those West Ham fans travelling out there on Thursday nights, an eight o'clock kickoff. But what can they expect from from the city, the stadium, the fans, the atmosphere, that sort of thing? Yeah, so it, it's only forty kilometres away from Viborg. So um, if they like Viborg, it's very much kind of much of the same. It's a very um, uh, it's a very attractive city. Um, the stadium, I think, is the newest in the league, um, and it's uh, it's very kind of um, uh, it's a very nicely designed stadium. One thing that you might not be expecting is it's an artificial turf. Um, oh right, one of, it's one of two pitches in the league that are artificial. Uh, and actually, when those two teams play each other, it's called El Plastico, and there's a plastic, <laughs> plastic trophy. But that's um, that's certainly something that provides some home advantage because I, I can't imagine the West Ham players have put on their Astros recently. Um, so yeah, that should be interesting that the fan, the fans are, uh, are, are great. It's a very kind of, um, uh, it's quite, quite a historic club. Um, and yeah, they, they, they should expect a similarly warm welcome. I'd have, I'd have thought I, I saw lots of, uh, West Ham fans who traveled over to Viborg had a fantastic time there and, and got on really well with the locals. So I think, yeah, expect, expect more of the same. What, um, what sort of capacity are we talking? I think it's about eight or 9,000. Oh right, okay. Um, so fairly small, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's it's. Is that small for Denmark? I'm, I'm saying. That, no, that's a, that's about average. Um, you've right. got F- FC Copenhagen play in a, a forty thousand seater stadium, which is the kind of the the national team stadium. Um, Bromby yeah. have about thirty thousand, but then after that, they're all around the kind of eight to twelve thousand mark. Right. Um, but yeah, Google the stadium because it's a, it's, it's a really nice design. And I think they've done it in such a way as it's got, it's got a very small lower tier with a much bigger upper tier, but I think they've designed it in such a way that you can see the pitch wherever you are. So even if you're getting a beer at halftime, you can somehow see the pitch, which is kind of cool. Oh, right. I see. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 So what, what, what the fans like, is that, um, is it sort of similar thing to V-Borg, like you said there, or what, what, what they expect is there could be a decent atmosphere or obviously the football culture in Denmark is slightly different to here what 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 will they expect travel traveling fans from that yeah I think I think Viborg is particularly noisy uh particularly um strong support I don't think it will be quite as noisy as that but um this is still going to be a massive game for Silkeborg you know that they're, they're they're not in Europe a lot and uh and so the fans are going to be really up for this and uh, they've been waiting and it'll for be these. a sellout I'd have thought so yeah yeah, yeah, I'd have thought so. I think this is the this is the glamour tie of the group. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And the manager? Uh, the manager is a guy called Kent Nielsen. Um, and he, he was, you know, by far and away manager of the year last season, you know, taking a promoted side that, that spent zero in the transfer market and turning them into a, you know, third place team. Um, yeah, it's r- remarkable, uh, remarkable manager. And he's really one of these guys who he's got the most out of these players. You know, N- Nicholas Elenius was not a golden boot winner um, anywhere else that he played. And he somehow got him playing like, you know, peak Ronaldo. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, he's he's uh, un- understandably won a lot of plaudits. Uh, and I think people were expecting them to, to fall off this season, um, myself included. But, you know, they're third, uh, as you say, this season. So proof's in the pudding. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, not one for uh, West Ham fans to take lightly by the sounds of it, certainly. Um, Henry, with with the... I probably should have asked you this a little bit earlier on. That that game against Anderlecht, 1-0 defeat, doesn't sound too bad. I think it's fair to say all West Ham fans were thinking that, that Anderlecht were going to pose the biggest threat or that yeah. would, would, would be the most difficult game from... A West Ham perspective, uh, FCSB, give us a little bit of a scare early on in the first group game last Thursday at London Stadium before West Ham came back. But a 1-0 defeat for Silkeborg um, to Anderlecht doesn't sound like there's huge disparity there. It was an away game as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, I, I, for, From what I saw of it, I think that Anderlecht were, were, were probably um, good for the win. Uh, but in the kind of in the football food chain, Belgium does unfortunately sit above uh, Denmark. Mm. You know, they they tend to nab the best players from from the league if they're not quite ready to step up to like a top five league. Uh, and I think that around Europe, Anderlecht have one of the best youth systems. You know, if you think of the likes of uh, I think Lukaku and Tielemans and lots uh, Vincent Company, lots of these players came through there. Uh, and so they they always seem to have a very talented squad and I think that the conference league is exactly the sort of place where um where they're going to thrive so I, I I'd be very surprised if anyone other than than West Ham and, and Anderlecht made it through um mm. but as you say one nil is not a big scoreline and I, I think that Silkeborg uh they they never they never get absolutely trounced you know if they lose it's normally a close game and I think that that's also reflective of how they play in in terms of dominating the possession they just they, they don't give up many opportunities yeah fair enough fair enough well look it looks uh um shaping up to be an exciting encounter nonetheless what's the weather like in denmark in silkeborg at this time of year it's starting to get a bit chilly and grisly over here so i can't imagine uh it's yeah. that much more pleasant yeah it's sort of um uh if you look on a map it's about level with i guess newcastle uh in terms mm. of the the is it the longitude or the latitude? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but yeah. So, so expect kind Longitudes. of northern English weather at the moment, okay. which is yeah, as you say, starting to get a bit chilly. But it yeah, won't yeah, be yeah. You, you won't be putting on the snowshoes just yet. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, look, Henry, it's uh, been absolutely brilliant having you on again. Didn't think we'd uh, speak to you again so soon, but delighted that we've been able to. Henry Nichols from Football in Denmark. There, Henry, give us a score prediction. Thursday night, West Ham United away at Silkeborg in their second game of the Europa Conference League. You know what? I'm going to say I'm going to say one all uh, with the plastic pitch being the the twelfth man. For, uh, for Silkeborg and, and uh, unsettling West Ham a little. The being, the, being the leveller, excellent stuff. Well, look, Henry, it's, uh, it's great having you on. I'm going to go, I don't know, I'd, you'd hope you'd hope that we'd win. I know there's sort of artificial pitches and stuff at 
um, at Rush Green, you'd hope they'd be okay with with something like that, wouldn't you? Really, I mean, professional footballers on the money they earn, you think they'd be able to put on a pair of Astros rather than some studs and and still play. So, uh, if if you're saying they'll score, I'm going to go with another comprehensive three-one win to West Ham United. I will uh, see what Josie's got to say about that in a minute. But Henry Nichols from Football in Denmark platform there. Thanks for joining us. And now it's my turn to do this week's opposition view ahead of Sunday's game against Everton at Goodison Park. 2.15 kick-off live on Sky Sports. It is going ahead. We got the confirmation earlier this week. After worries of it being postponed due to policing concerns um, ahead of the Queen's funeral on Monday. But it is going ahead and I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Ethan Madison, good colleague of mine, big Everton fan uh, on the social team at Give Me Sport. Um, Ethan, thanks for thanks for joining us, mate. Nah, all good, mate. Happy to be here and uh, and preview the game, have a little chat, and uh, yeah, all good. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, let's let's get straight into it. There's no secret that Frank Lampard and West Ham fans don't have the best relationship after what's happened in years gone by. So a win for West Ham this weekend uh, will delight the fans probably more than a win over Everton ever ever could do, really, given that he's now your manager, but. Looking from the outside in, Ethan, it doesn't seem like he's doing a fantastic job. I know he kept you up last season. Um, it looked like he was going to take you straight down, but a little bit of a flurry of form towards the end of the season, you ended up surviving. No real change in terms of form at the beginning of this season. No wins, four draws, two defeats in your first six. What are the thoughts of, of Everton fans when it comes to Lampard? Because looking outside in, it just looks like is almost inevitably going to be sacked before the end of the season if things continue. Now, look, I think obviously when Frank came in, uh, the club was in a bit of a a bit of a sticky situation with Rafa Benitez. I'd, I'd go as far to say that I've never seen the fan base and the club uh, so far apart. Uh, Benitez, you know, ultimately he never should have got the job in the first place. And then obviously when we got rid of him, it was a case of who can we bring in? I know we've been linked with a few names from uh, from European football, but ultimately they went with Frank. And look, at the end of the day, we we spent Frank and any future managers, regardless of how long he stays, are paying for the um, the negligence and the the mass spending. I think 500, 500, 600 million pounds we spent over the last mm. five years or so. Uh, so obviously the budget's not being there, uh, and obviously you know we we're stuck. We've got some rid of some of them this summer, but we've been stuck with players who are worth little to nothing on big wages, which has kind of limited the um, limited the resources, I'd go as far to say, that Frank's kind of had at his disposal. Uh, obviously, I think we had the net spend this window of about 20 million, uh, obviously losing Richarlison, which was painful. Um, but we beat, you know, the, the players we brought in, I think obviously the style of play that he's trying to play um, is is the, fan, the fans have took to him. I think obviously, you know, it, it's common within the media that, um, that you know, Lampard instantly, maybe just maybe because he's the Everton manager. Uh, I don't know, but you know, it's it's just slate, 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 slate. I, I don't think he's done too bad a job. Uh, I think last season was a case of we've got to stay up, which I've never I've never been in that situation in my life. Uh, it was quite, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it nearly. You get used to it, trust me. Yeah. <laughs> well, not for you boys at the minute. You seem to no. be you down no, there. No, that's but, true. But yeah, so I mean, you know. He, He's walked into a tough job, I think. But what he has instantly done is bridge the connection back between the club and the fans. Um, mm. The fans love him. Ultimately, 
I know we haven't won a game this season. I think, you know, any 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 fan can sit there and say, oh, we were unlucky here, we were unlucky there. But, you know, first game of the season, Chelsea, stupid penalty. Thought we did all right in the game. Lost to Aston Villa, which seems to be a pretty rare occasion uh, when Steven Gerrard's in charge there. But, you know, the four games since, uh, the draw against Leeds, the draw against Nottingham Forest, the draw against Brentford, and I forgot the last one off the top of my head, which is bad. But, yeah, the four draws, um, it's a case of, the play is getting better. The style of play is getting better. You can see what he's trying to do. We seem harder to break down. Um, so I, I think I think it's harsh to kind of say that he'd be kind of, you know ne- you know almost in the firing line and wouldn't make it to the season and to the end of the season. But obviously Mashiri's you know managerial record he turns them over every year. It's not maybe it's not harsh to say, but I think in terms of what he's doing and what he, what we, what he's trying to build, um, I think you know Everton fans really like him. I don't I haven't spoke to anyone or heard anyone that's kind of frank out. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately he's, he's, you know, he's took a hard job on in Everton. We have, we have maybe we need to kind of come to terms that we're not the club we were five or six years ago where we were competing in Europe, which is painful because other teams have done it on far lesser budget, having spent a lot less money. But that's the reality now. We're not, a, we're not the team finishing seventh, eighth, ninth that we were. Mm. Um, so obviously if Frank can get us back anywhere near there, then I think he's done a good job. Obviously, winning a trophy along the way would be would be nice. Um, yeah. 24 years of age. I've been to one FA Cup final, two semis. I've seen us win on one occasion. Um, so it'd be yeah, it'd be nice to get a trophy. But yeah, I think the main thing is just stabilizing the club, getting us back to where we were, and um, and yeah, trying to you know trying to kick on and, and get back to it. Well, you're not alone on the on the trophy drought front. I'm 34, and I've seen West Ham in one FA Cup final in my lifetime. Um, and, and the odd semi-final here and there, obviously, last season with the Europa League. So you're not alone on that front, mate. But we'll get on to what style Lampard's trying to implement at Everton in a little bit. But you mentioned there about his uh, the businesses that he's the business that he did this summer. I think he spent about eight, 85 million quid, net spend of about 20, 25. Um, but I was looking at it earlier, and it's actually quite impressive in terms of he's got rid of a lot of the dead wood. Richarlison aside, he's probably the only real first team player that that left Everton in the summer, and the rest of the exits are you know Andre Gomez, Deli Ali, John Joe Kenny, Fabian Delph, Cenk Tosin, all you know either not good enough, uh, not getting game time, or just you know surplus to requirements. He's replaced them with you know first team Premier League standard players in the likes of Dwight McNeil, James Tarkowski, Connor Cody is a solid centre half, um, Amadou Anana already looks good, gutted that um, you beat him. You beat us to him. Um, and then Neil Mope, proven, uh, annoying striker up front, always scores against West Ham. Uh, and Adrissa Gay and James Garner. So solid, solid business, I think. And you also mentioned that previous managers have spent five, you know, 500 million quid over the last four or five years. And that seems more, more of a measured summer and a more kind of yeah. more purposeful summer in terms of what Lampard wants to achieve long term. Yeah. No, I think obviously spot on. My, I think in in terms of the defence, um, look, Michael Keane, he, he's another one where we spent a lot of money on him. Uh, I had questions when we signed him from Burnley. I think obviously any player on you know on a given day can look a solid player, but I think you know physically he's not quite. At it. I think in the, the centre back option as a whole, I think Yerry Mina on his day when he's fully fit is a really good centre half, but unfortunately he's made out of glass and he spends most of his time lying on the surgery table. But you know, to bring in uh, the club captain from Wolves, Connor Cody, um, Tarkowski in as well, you know, big no-nonsense centre-half, you know, bringing them kind of players in who actually kind of have a bit more leadership 
Uh, I think we're a team that was kind of deflated of, of leaders. Um, ultimately, I do think, you know, towards the back end of the season, players did kick on and, uh, and and put the effort in and got us over the line. But certainly the names you've mentioned there, I mean, in particular, you know, Cenk Tossen, uh, we paid £30 million for him. He was on 100 grand a week. Um, absolutely ludicrous. Like, absolutely <laughs> ludicrous. Obviously, the likes of Mikalenko coming in. I did think even that was the only good thing Rafa probably did. I think um, Dinier... Over the years, we know he's played for some top clubs. You saw him starting to fall off to get the best part of £30 million out of Villa for him and invest it in a young, hungry uh, Vitaly Mikalenko for £18, £19 million and also get Patterson in, uh, who wears mm. the number three. That that bothers me a bit. He's a right-back wearing the number three, but that's a story for another day. But them, them sort of signings, you know, moving on some of the, um, the older players and, you know, getting a good fee for them is important. Obviously, uh, in terms of Richarlison going, look, I'm any Everton fan will tell you, and you'll probably see as well. You know, I know with the uh, with the Spurs thing you guys have got, but it's he's one of them players where on his day he's a world beater, but is what is on his day is one in five games, and for the money we got for him, yeah, obviously it, it was sad to see him leave, but like you mentioned, the players we've been been able to bring in that Andre Anana from Lille looks really solid. Uh, I know you guys were linked with him. Maybe West Ham fans have done a bit of extensive research on him. Uh, James Garner at United. Didn't know too much about him, but United fans that I've spoke to hold him in really high volume. So, And then, yeah, bringing Idrissa Garner Gay again, another leader into the team. It's a real it's a real mix of um, of kind of, of, of leadership um, and... Premier ultimately, League experience as well. Yeah, yeah. the Premier League yeah. experience is important, James, because obviously, like I say, we're... You know, we've got young players in the team that we're trying to kick on. Obviously, Anthony Gordon's there. Um, and I think it, it's important that you've got players in the team that uh, that have the experience and have the know-how. I mean, I've seen in the Leeds game, uh, I don't know the Leeds right-back, but he was, you know, he was trying to wind up Gordon. They ended up coming head-to-head. James Tarkowski runs over there, first in, in between them. Do you know what I mean? We seem like we've got a bit more of a bullish squad now uh, who are all kind of all on the same page, all working together. So... Mm. I think, yeah, the signings we've done and, um, you know, the incomings as well as getting the, you know, some of the high earners, Andre Gomez as well, ever since Son broke him in half, he hadn't been the same player. But yeah, he's um, he seems to be establishing a real kind of, yeah, plan of how he wants to do it and the sort of players that he wants in his side. And obviously, you know, the main thing is hard working. So, and I think yeah. we've got that hard working and, and the ability to, to run ground. So, yeah, happy with the summer overall. So, in terms of, all of that business and, and the type of players that he's he's brought in and kind of the squad that he's beginning to build. What what is what is he trying to achieve in terms of style of play? Um, and you know how, how are we are we going to see that in in full flow at the weekend at Goodison Park? Uh, look, I think I think the style. I mean, it's tricky because I mentioned the style of play, but you know he, he he's he's flipped between a three three centre halves and two centre halves in the last two or three weeks. So for me. As an Everton fan, you know, I at Goodison, I think on our day, we'll give anyone a game. Do you know what I mean? And I think, obviously, but what he's trying to do, it, it, we want to see a style of play where that we're moving forward. The ball's moving forward and there's all, there's a sequence to what we're doing. For large parts of last season, it was just, it was just, you were watching it, just like, what is what is going on sort of mm. thing. Obviously, you know, now that we've got um, Calvert-Lewin, hopefully back for the weekend, he's been a big miss. Um, obviously, we brought more pie in. As you mentioned, he's a you know he's a bit of a pain, bit of a pest. You know, rattles a few skins and that. But you know, Anthony getting the service wide into Anthony Gordon um, to get the ball into the box. Do you know what I mean? And now we've got you know Anana's got legs in midfield. He'll be pushing forward. Alex Awobi, by the way, I do have to just kind of chip in and say, last season I like, wrote him off. What a player! 
Like genuinely, yeah. I don't know what Lampard's done with him in centre midfield, but another one who's got the legs, do you know what I mean? And gets involved with the forward the forward play. Um, so yeah, I think look at the end of the day, it's it'll be if Calvert Lewin does come into the side, it's his first game back. So it's you know I wouldn't be expecting a, I'm not going to be expecting a world beating performance, but certainly attacking free flowing football, getting up the pitch. Obviously, you guys pose your own threat in your own right. And uh, and everyone's aware of that. I think obviously last year, you know, the last couple of years, what Moyes has done is is really impressive. But like I say, yeah, I'm I'm confident going into the game that we can, um, you know, kind of now that Calvert Lewin's back in the side, albeit first game back, we can see a bit more of what we saw maybe under Ancelotti, where the style of play we were playing, progressive, expansive football down the wings into the box, creating chances. Because yeah, that's that's what we need to be doing. So. So, so looking ahead to, to Sunday, I mean, we, we've had we've had a little bit of success at Goodison Park in recent seasons. Uh, won four of the last six visits, including the last two one nil victories, both of those. Um, but we'd only won one of the previous eighteen in the Premier League, previous eighteen trips, and that's seventy visits to Goodison Park in all competitions in our history. We've only won fourteen. Um, so, although recently we've we've had a bit of luck at Goodison Park. Um, it hasn't always been that way for West Ham, uh, but I mean, I'm I'm quietly confident we can go there and and kind of um, disrupt Frank Lampard's uh, growth in terms of building that squad and getting getting into a rhythm. But which player, if there's one player that David Moyes is sitting down in his office at uh, Rush Green this afternoon and he's going right, there's one player at Everton I got stuck. Who is it? I'm telling you now, mate, and I'm 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 saying it hand on heart. It's Alex Awobi because he's just honestly the the way I don't know if you watched the derby and uh and you know the game against Liverpool, but mate, he, he's unbelievable. He he's gone from someone who you know he, he comes out walking out or off the bench. He's got his hands in his sleeves. He doesn't look like he's bothered. Doesn't look like he wants to be there, mate. Honestly, the way that he's getting the ball, the distribution, the uh, the volume of passes, the distance he's getting on it. He, He's just he's just a completely different player. And I think he's one of them where, because he's not naturally a centre midfield, he also drifts forward. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a Wobie. Because, um, mm. yeah, if, if you speak to Everton fans, if you, you know, you engage on Everton Twitter, everyone's saying the same thing. He is, at, at the minute for me, he's the first name on the team sheet by an absolute landslide, which, again, a year ago, I think I'd have seen a pig flying out the roof uh, before I'd be saying something like that. So, yeah. It's madness, isn't it? How some players can one minute be written off and then the next be be fantastic. I mean, because I was going to, I was actually going to bring him up earlier that you know, he seems like one of those players that was was a waste of money because it was a big feat, wasn't it, for Arsenal? Yeah. Uh, for yeah. Yeah. And um, I remember when that deal went through, and it was like, what? No, that's a lot of money for for someone that you know isn't going to be the best player in the Premier League. If you know what I mean? Because at the time, you know, thirty million quid was now it's just a, just a normal transfer fee, isn't it? But yeah. but yeah. Um, in terms, let's flip it. In terms of West Ham players, um, which ones will David Moyes be looking at in order to uh, exploit any Everton weaknesses? Where are the weaknesses, and which West Ham players do you think can exploit them? I think it, it kind of depends on how Lampard sets up. If he goes with the free back, obviously, you know, Patterson's really young, fairly inexperienced, has made a good start. Uh, was a bit annoyed the other week, 85th minute, he's for on goal, should have scored against Leeds, got us the win, but he's one that he likes to bomb forward. Um, mm. I think that side of the pitch, the right-hand side in general, I don't, I'm don't. i not sure who will start. Uh, Damari Gray, obviously you mentioned Dwight McNeil coming in. Uh, being to, We haven't been too impressed with what, what, what he's offered since he's came in. But yeah, certainly the right-hand side and, and getting balls into the box as well. I think, um, you know, 
it, it's one of them where it if you we when the crowd if you go one nil up do you know what? if you go one nil up at Goodison Park you know I've heard Ben Foster say it on his podcast before the fans just switch do you know what I mean and I think with the the, the more inexperienced players the likes of Patterson in the side they're the kind of players that would be would be kind of the most vulnerable I suppose to that kind of atmosphere and the and the pressures that come with it. So yeah, if, if there was one, if there was one area, it would be it would be that right hand side of the fence that I'd be a little bit concerned about. But at the same time, you know, we bought Seamus Coleman for sixty thousand pounds, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, um, and obviously he started, you know, really young, inexperienced, and obviously look at the player that he turned out to be. What a mm. serve! So yeah, that's that's what I'd be thinking. Yeah, mm. cool, brilliant. Well, before I let you go, Ethan, um, let's get a score prediction from you, mate. Well, it'll have to be positive. Um, I do think. I, listen, you. I know you guys haven't had a great start either. I think we both on four points. Yeah, yeah. You guys won one, so you've obviously lost a fair few. Um, I'll go two one Everton, mate. I, I I can't. You you know you're you're an attacking side like us. I think obviously you've got you've got problems, or you can cause problems up the top end of the pitch. So I can't maybe see the clean sheet, especially with Pickford injured, Begovic starting. That's a bit of a, a pain, but look, I'm a yeah, I'm I'm confident going into it, and I'll uh, I'll go two one Everton. Fair play, fair play. I mean, I think it's going to be it'll be tight. I've been tempted to say one nil a hat trick or one nils over the last three seasons, good as some part, but I think you're right. Um, for I mean, I think both teams will score. I don't think West Ham will keep the clean sheet. We've been a little bit better defensively recently, but um, I just think with Neil Mopay there, he always scores against us and Calvert-Lewin loves a goal against us as well. So, um, I think it'll be tight. I'm going to go, I'm going to go 2-1 West Ham. I think, I think, we'll, I think we'll just about nick it. It's going to be tight. It'll probably be a late winner for, for either side, I would have thought. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that the, the interesting battle will be Rice and Onana in midfield. Yeah. Because um, obviously we were very interested in Onana before we, I think, I think the story was that we did, he wanted to play for Everton instead of West Ham because of the Lampard effect. Wanted to play um, play under a previously world cast midfielder, which I suppose you can understand. But yeah, um, I mean, to I'm, be honest, Dave, we probably just threw an extra ten grand in his pocket. Do you know what I mean? So, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the, the official line was Lampard, and actually, yeah, the unofficial line is more money. Probably. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. But now, listen. Look, I'm looking forward to it. It's always, you know, it's, it is always a good game. Um, you know, on West Ham as well. You know, my I have many a visit to Upton Park. Um, you know, one of my one of my favourite games there actually. I don't even remember when uh, when Bain scored two free kicks, one in either corner, and uh, yep. Lukaku got the winner on his debut. That was a uh, you know, I've got fond memories of uh, of playing West Ham. But um, but yeah, you're a different animal these days. So we'll have to yeah, get... yeah, we're we're getting there, mate. I remember that game very well actually because um, Lukaku's uh, goal meant that I finished bottom of my fantasy league that season. And uh, I just did a forfeit, which wasn't great. Um, but yeah, yeah, I remember that game real well. But yeah, you're right. We have been we have been a lot better over the last couple of years. But uh, mate, really appreciate you joining us no, this week. Good, and um, obviously, good luck for the rest of the season after this weekend. Yeah, you too, mate. Appreciate you having me on. All right. And uh, and that's that's it for the Everton opposition view with Ethan. And coming up next is uh, myself and Will just going through some final thoughts before we bring this week's podcast to a close. Right, Jonesy, there you have it for another week. A very strange week uh, in the world, or certainly in, in the world if you're British. Um, and probably for those of you listening, now we've got stacks of you listening in Australia, um, part of the Commonwealth as well. Again, we hope we've we've dealt with all of this. Um, 
yeah, respectfully this week, we appreciate for some people listening, certainly those, um, you know, that none of this matters. Some people have really staunch, strong views on it. Um, I mentioned the Commonwealth there. Lots of people in Commonwealth countries across the world have no interest whatsoever in recognising the Queen as the head of state, et cetera, et cetera. Me and Jonesy, it's it's a strange topic. It's a strange time. We hope we've dealt with it uh, respectfully. For anyone who's listening, whatever your stance and thoughts on it, um, this is a West Ham podcast. Me and Jonesy have have views on things and and different views on things. But a 96-year-old lady has died who was a mother, uh, a grandmother, um, an aunt, you know, and and as well as as being a, a figurehead, whether you agree with it or not, uh, a figurehead and someone that millions of people in the country and around the world looked up to and have every right to be sad about that that the Queen's died. So we hope we've dealt with it respectfully enough. We obviously can not talk about it. It's the it's a monumental story for for those people in in Britain and and across the world, um, but. Uh, you know, so so we hope we would they wouldn't ever set out to offend anyone or upset anyone or whatever. It's it's a strange time, um, but yeah, we hope you enjoyed listening to it anyway. Obviously, an extremely different feel. Uh, just that one game to look back on the positive result against um, FCSB in the Conference League on Thursday. No Premier League football, no game against Newcastle. That's postponed. We're not sure as we're recording whether the Everton one will be or not. Um, but we are playing in the Conference League again away to Silkeborg on Thursday night, which we chatted to Henry about just now. Hope you enjoyed the podcast this week. None of the usual bluster um, and, uh, you know, adverts, nothing like that as as we go. I, I just as our own little mark of respect. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Up the hammers and we'll see you next week. Hi, this is Tony Cotty and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. Podcast Network. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.